0: lesson one of elements of conchology this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by lauren huff elements of conchology by william ruschenberger lesson one general considerations mollusca in general organization nervous system general form skin mantle shell formation of shell digestive apparatus, circulation of the blood, respiration, senses, eggs, classification. The long series of vertebrate animals, the history of which we have already concluded, forms only a small part of the animal kingdom, and to make the beings we are now about to study as interesting as the vertebrata, we should be obliged to very far exceed the limits of these lessons, but these animals are less useful to us. They attract less attention, and most of them pass unnoticed, except by those who are at the pains of becoming acquainted with them, their faculties are more limited, and their structure is less complicated and less perfect. All these lower animals want a spinal marrow and a true internal skeleton. This last character has obtained for them the collective name of invertebrate animals, but in a natural classification, they could not all be placed in the same group because they are evidently formed after three different types and therefore should be divided into three distinct branches, namely the mollusca, the articulata, the radiata, or zoophytes. The branch of zoophytes is composed essentially of the most imperfect animals. According to the classification of Cuvier, which we follow, this branch comprises a certain number of beings which seem in a manner to present the first sketch of the mode of organization proper to mollusks and articulate animals. Its place is therefore among the lowest grades of the animal series, and passes, by gradual shades, from the type of the radiate animal to that of the two great branches which spring from it. These two latter branches, one equally with the other, present a constantly increasing complication of organization, and form, as it were, two parallel series. The series of articulate animals seems to be the highest in the scale, but the mollusca, though less perfect in structure, seem to be less remote in their mode of organization from the vertebrata, and for this reason we have determined to place them first. We give the name of mollusca from the Latin mollus soft to animals which in the general features of their organization resemble snails oysters etc they have no articulated skeleton nor vertebral canal like the vertebrate animals their body is soft and their skin which is often covered by a shell is never hardened so as to form a kind of external skeleton composed of a series of rings as is the case in insects and the crustacea The nervous system an apparatus of so much importance the action of which regulates all the phenomena of animal life and the functions of which must necessarily be in harmony with its mode of conformation differs altogether in the mollusca in its general disposition from what we observe in the vertebrata there exists a nervous center which to a certain extent may be compared to the brain in superior animals but this ganglionic mass is not continuous with an organ analogous to the spinal marrow the other central parts of the nervous system are found on the opposite side of the digestive tube, and hence this canal is always embraced by a sort of medullary collar from which the different nerves of the body arise in other respects this apparatus varies more in its arrangement than in the number of parts composing it in a great many of the least perfect mollusks, such as the solen and many other acephala which inhabit bivalve shells the nervous system is generally composed of but two pairs of ganglia united by two long interganglionic cords giving rise to different branches the ganglia of the anterior pair are sometimes considerably separated from each other and only united by an intermediate cord and sometimes glued one to the other or even confounded in a single mass they are situate above the esophagus and far from the posterior ganglia which are placed beneath the intestine towards the posterior part of the body in some mollusks, the nervous system is still more simple in its composition but in general the ganglia tend to approximate the esophagus more and more and in most of these animals we find a greater number of small medullary masses some of which form a sort of nervous center and the others are distributed in different parts of the body thus in the snails and most mollusks constructed on the same plan and named gastropods from the greek gaster belly and "pous" foot on account of their mode of crawling on the ventral surface of the body there exists above and in front of the esophagus a medullary mass which is the representative of the interior pair of ganglia above mentioned and which is regarded by most anatomists as the brain of these animals it furnishes nerves to the organs of the senses as well as to the neighbouring parts and is continued posteriorly by two interganglionic cords which embrace the esophagus and which at a short distance unite with a second nervous mass situate beneath the digestive tube and comparable to the posterior pair of ganglia which we remarked when speaking of the acephalous molluscs and two small nerves which arise from the brain unite to form a third ganglion below the origin of the esophagus in other gastropods the aplysia or sea hairs for example to these ganglia is joined another situated among the viscera and united by two communicating threads to the medullary collar which surrounds the esophagus and giving rise to the nerves of the intestines liver branchiae ovaries etc we also find in these mollusks a fifth ganglion which is very small belonging to these latter organs and in the pulpus and the cuttlefish in which this system acquires its highest degree of development the ganglionic parts grouped around the esophagus are larger and more complicated for the cephalic and postesophagal ganglia united in a large esophageal collar present laterally a third pair of ganglionic swellings which are lodged in a cartilaginous cranial cavity from them arise the nerves of the feet To recapitulate, we see that in this class of animals, the nervous system is essentially composed of a medullary collar, embracing the alimentary tube and formed by the communicating cords of the two pairs of ganglia, which are widely separated in the acephalous molluscs, but approximate more and more as we ascend in the series, formed by the gastropods and cephalopods. And the nerves which arise from each of these ganglia to be distributed to the different organs are at first simple, but very soon present in different parts of the body ganglionic swellings, But these ganglia however numerous they may be never form a regular longitudinal chain extending along the middle line of the abdominal face of the body as is the case in the articulated animals as we have already said in this great branch of the animal kingdom there is neither an internal skeleton analogous to the solid frame of vertebrate animals nor an external skeleton similar to the tegumentary sheath which envelops the whole body of articulate animals in a series of rings and serves the same purposes as the skeleton properly so called of the superior animals the general form of mollusks is extremely variable their body is always soft and in a very small number of them only there exists internally some solid pieces which are unarticulated and serve rather to protect the viscera than to furnish levers and points of support to the apparatus of locomotion the muscles are attached directly to the integuments and act but very little beyond their point of insertion their motions are slow and in general ill-directed in a small number of these beings there are elongated and flexible appendages designed for locomotion but in most instances the animal can change its place only by successively contracting different points of the inferior surface of its body and even when it possesses extremities they are united in a group at one end of the body and never arranged in a symmetrical series as they are in vertebrate and inarticulate animals the skin of molluscs always soft and viscid often forms folds that more or less completely envelope the body and this disposition has caused the name of mantle to be given to that portion of integument which ordinarily furnishes these expansions frequently this mantle or pallium is almost entirely free and constitutes two large veils which conceal all the rest of the animal or rather these two laminae or membranes unite together so as to form a kind of tube but at other times it consists only of a sort of dorsal disc the edges of which alone are free or surround the body more exactly under the form of a sac in general this soft skin is protected by a sort of stony cuirass named shell it is a secretion having some analogy to that of the epidermis which produces this envelope the follicles ordinarily lodged in the edges of the mantle deposit upon its surface a semicorneous matter mixed with a greater or less proportion of carbonate of lime which moulds itself upon the subjacent parts and solidifies the lamina or layer thus formed thickens and grows by successive deposits of new matter its superficies is not stony but in form of a kind of epidermis sometimes it preserves a horny consistence throughout its whole thickness in general however the proportion of carbonate of lime that it contains rapidly increases and imparts to it a stony hardness the internal surface is often harder than the rest and possesses a particular structure which renders it vitreous or shining and nacreous sometimes the shell always remains enclosed in the thickness of the skin but in general it is external and extends beyond the mantle so as to afford the animal perfect protection those which are unprovided with shells or only have an internal shell are called naked molluscs and those in which the shell is visible are included under the name of conchifera or sometimes testacea the manner in which the shell grows is easy to understand if we examine the shell of an oyster for example we observe that it consists of a multitude of superposed laminae the separation of which may be effected by the assistance of heat these laminae are formed successively by the mantle of the animal which they cover and consequently the most external one must be the oldest and it is also the smallest and each new lamina that is added exceeds the lamina situate above so that while the shell is augmenting in thickness it is also increasing in size in general the distinctness of the lamina is less marked and often the new matter is deposited in such a manner that its molecules exactly correspond to the molecules of the matter already consolidated and thus gives to the whole a fibrous structure shells are adorned with most diversified and most agreeably arranged colours which often vary with their age they are almost always entirely superficial and seem to depend on a sort of dyeing process performed by the skin of the animal which is coloured in a manner corresponding with that of its envelope the coloring matter seems to be deposited upon the shell at the time of its formation and its brightness is in proportion to the newness of the latter. it is produced by the edge of the mantle when a shell happens to be broken and the animal succeeds in repairing the accident the part newly formed is always white if it has not been in contact with the edge of the mantle but if it corresponds to this edge it then assumes the color that the latter presents at the point touched for example when this edge is spotted we find the corresponding spots on the margin of the shell and in proportion as the latter is elongated these spots become confounded with those previously formed and produce lines perpendicular to crossing striae or they do not join the latter but remain isolated according as the mantle remains unmoved and preserves the same relation to the margins of the shell or frequently changes its position according to the movements of the animal sometimes the secretion of the colouring matter varies with age and accidental circumstances may also modify it Light, for example, exerts a very remarkable influence on this phenomenon. For not only are shells that are most exposed to the action of this physical agent ordinarily most brightly colored, but when a mollusk lives fixed to a rock or in some spot hidden beneath a sponge or other opaque body, the part of the shell thus placed in darkness is always dull and paler than that which is exposed to the contact of the solar rays. The duration of shells and the length of time the animals live which inhabit them are circumstances not yet determined. When exposed to the action of the air and the vicissitudes of temperature and moisture for some time, shells usually change the Their colors and gradually become white the animal matter which enters into its composition is destroyed and disappears little by little the laminae separate from each other particularly under the alternate influence of heat and cold and finally become reduced to a calcareous powder which is washed away by currents of water all mollusks are provided with an alimentary canal which is more or less folded on itself and open at its two ends either at the extreme points of the body or at points more or less near to each other there is always a voluminous liver and we often find them furnished also with salivary glands and organs of mastication but the intestines are never held in their place by the assistance of a mesentery the blood of these animals is cold and colourless or slightly bluish and circulates in a very complicated vascular apparatus composed of arteries and veins a heart formed of a ventricle and one or two auricles is found in the track of the arterial blood and sends this liquid to all parts of the body from which it returns to the organs of respiration sometimes we also find at the base of the vessels which enter this latter apparatus venous reservoirs erroneously called pulmonary hearts for having nothing in their structure resembling muscle they cannot set the blood in motion and consequently do not merit this name the organs of respiration vary so much that they cannot be well described at this place we will merely mention that they are sometimes in the form of lungs and at others in that of branchiae or gills nor can we say anything generally of the structure of the organs of the senses which are however always less complete than in the vertebrate animals certain mollusks appear to be endowed only with the sense of touch and with the sense of taste but in a great many we find eyes which vary in structure and in some of these animals there even exists an apparatus of hearing but none is known to possess a particular organ of smell mollusks are reproduced from eggs but are sometimes hatched without and sometimes within the body of the mother and then the young are born alive in all cases they possess at birth nearly the form they preserve through life and do not undergo metamorphosis we have already stated that mollusks differ very much in the general form of their body and as these external modifications are accompanied by corresponding differences in the degree of complication of their internal organization they enable us to divide these animals into six natural groups cephalopoda in the form of an open sac in front from which the head appears surrounded by tentacula pteropoda membranous fins in the form of wings on the sides of the neck gastropoda a fleshy foot occupying the ventral face of the body and in form of a disc or sometimes fins acephala having four branchiae distinct from the mantle and almost always a fleshy foot brachiopoda provided with two ciliated arms which they have in place of them tunicata unprovided with arms and special organs of motion Cuvier and many other zoologists arranged the syropoda also in the branch of Mollusca, but it is now ascertained that these animals belong to the branch of articulata, the third great division of the animal kingdom. End of Lesson one Recording by Lauren Huff